Hey friends, it's uh, episode 87, last week tonight. I know we haven't done this in a while, and I apologize for that. I teased you guys with a few episodes, and then um, life and other things just happened. So uh, we'll do kind of like a week in review from last week, because a lot of stuff happened last week. We had Nikki Haley announce for president. Uh, we had Shotgun Frankenstein get admitted back into the lab for depression, quote-unquote, uh, and a whole other host of other things. We have former president, boomer dad. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> That's evergreen. Uh, just kind of doing his shtick on true social. And I'm going to talk more about that tomorrow in the podcast because it's kind of getting to the point where it's like, okay, you can't ignore the, the big tuba in your head anymore. Um, but uh, I thought I'd just kind of host a uh, just a general topic at AMA about uh, just things that – you might have on your mind. Um, I don't even think we've done this since the Super Bowl, when of course the racist Chiefs won, and your read still hasn't been fired, which is shocking to me. And so, um, like I said, there's a lot out there and a lot to catch up on, and I'm sure you guys all have thoughts, just things you've observed last week. Uh, we also know that uh, Biden is over in Ukraine. I don't have a lot of thoughts about this. I'm not. I'm not the biggest Ukraine hawk. Um, I do think they deserve some level of support, but I do, if we want to be talking about this on strictly the level of memes, uh, I did like a tweet today that I saw about how one party uh, is ignoring an ecological disaster while the other party is going full in on uh, a war, and you'd be surprised to know which of those two parties they are. And that is obviously fallout from uh, interventionism and it's fallout from the Iraq war, uh, but I thought that that was clever. I kind of like that. Um, <laughs> I, saw, I saw Bo Adams down there, and I know that uh, we're a little bit of a week out, but uh, if you have questions, comments about a certain uh, beer league hockey goalie, I'll take those too. So uh, to, to catch up on that situation, it, it's official. I, I'm carrying a second goalie on my roster, uh, which I paid to have registered, and uh, I, I guess we'll see how that goes. So... They're willing to play, and it's also just kind of a shot across the bow to my dude. So there's a lot out there. So let's go for about an hour tonight. Um, and like I said, I'm going to be talking more probably tomorrow about uh, the extreme, I want to call it extreme weakness that I see Donald Trump projecting at the moment. And part of it is because of, I think the, the major thread here is that Trump is always claimed to be, and me looking back for the most part, a counterpuncher, which means whether it's media or it's his party or it's Democrats, he would primarily use Twitter to counterpunch. And he's good at that. And so, and then that would, of course, generate more news cycles and more news cycles and more news cycles. And Trump's problem at the moment is he's not counterpunching. He's kind of just flailing insults about and none of them are really going to work. I don't know how Trump is going to make the rhino label, Paul Ryan endorsed label stick to someone like Ron DeSantis when Trump cut, you know, a trillion dollar tax deal with Paul Ryan. And this is one of the kind of the fascinating things about Trump and his followers is they're kind of ignoring his entire presidency. And that's just to me with other voters. I don't see how that works. And so all of these kind of uh, things he's throwing out there, he's accusing there's, – there's, of course, a meme out there started by one of his online influence people. It's uh, DeSantis is endorsed by George Soros, 
And today, uh, DeSantis was in Chicago and he noted that he fired a Soros prosecutor in Florida for refusing to in, uh, enforce abortion law. And it's just these little things like this that might play well on Twitter and it's going to get the boomer rubes all uh, jonesed up. But ultimately, I don't know how it plays electorally. But I'm going to go into more of that. And we can, of course, talk about that here. So um, I should have a pretty big queue, which I do back there. I can see it. Um, we'll go for, like I said, about an hour and, uh, just usual with the ground rules. Uh, we all know them by now, hopefully just please, uh, mute your microphone. If you're not speaking, it just makes it easier for the audience and a, and a recording. And just also just kind of note there might be other people back there. We're, we're generally running about six, seven deep and we can generally do this in about an hour. So let's do it. Um, I'm going to go ahead. We haven't heard from him in a while. I'm going to bump Matt up. That a tradition, uh, just skip me. So I thought wow, I would just I, I, make sure. I'm just Found, making sure you guys are paying attention at this founding member member privilege here. I said that that's part of, I said in my thing, I was like, what can else can I do to give these guys perks? And uh, I was like, ah, I'll give them call in privilege. So I don't know if you remember, but I used to like, if I had something like burning that I want to talk about on one of your call-ins, I would Venmo you like five or 10 I, I don't, I don't know prior. what you're talking like, about. <laughs> um, I'm glad this topic is not Fetterman because I think we did abortion and Fetterman Collins for like half of the year last year. So this is a good change. I like this format. I don't know what else there's left to say. I don't think he makes it out of the month. So I've been talking to people about this and I, I mean, my, my thing is he could end up resigning this week. Like my thing is, is I don't, I think maybe the month passes well, we're in what, February 20th? So we'll go to March 20th. I don't think he makes it out of March. And that's where I'm going to leave that. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. But I, and I, I didn't want to talk about Fetterman, but I will say that whatever you think of J.D. Vance, like the guy for the moment, Ohio, oh, Pennsylvania butts Ohio, and J.D. Vance is on the ground, whether you like the guy or not, like he is the guy for the moment from a senator standpoint, not that he's fixing the problem. But then you have the other senator who could have constituents that are literally affected by the, you know, the train derailment and contamination, and he's in Walter Reed. So, um, as predicted, the reason I wanted to talk tonight was, and you kind of, it's good that you let off with it because I've been thinking about this DeSantis getting into the race, which I think is inevitable. Um, hate to break it to anybody here that like likes Nikki Haley or Tim Scott, like they're not, they're not going to be president. Real, real, um, real this, fast. This, I will say what's interesting. There, something that leads credence to the theory that no matter who they nominate, they're still going to be uh, De Satan Hitler the third. Look at the reaction to Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley is, I think she's an engaging person. I think she's an engaging candidate. I think there's a chance the moment has just missed her. Um, but look at the reaction to her. Who, if you're an outsider, you could, I don't want to say milk toast, but just kind of, you know affable and nice and she's just kind of a normal republican politician and look at the week-long freak out over her name and get ready get ready for tim scott when he throws his name oh in god so, yeah, so here so here's going to be digging up the 23 and so here's where this backfires i think as much as you and i know i think a lot of people were kind of accepting how people reacted to trump because it was trump and maybe there's a portion of moderates or independents and some Republicans have jumped ship from the Republican Party, didn't vote for Trump. They were like, wait, I thought this was all, all going to go away when Trump went away. But instead, when you get these kind of normal Republicans in, like Haley, maybe Pompeo, Sununu, 
they're all going to be given the Trump treatment to a lesser extent, but they're going to be treated like, you know, the second coming of Hitler. Um, for lack of third, third coming, analogy. you're forgetting Bush Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think th- this is kind of a half-baked idea because like, cause Nikki Haley like literally has two hopes, you know, no hope, Bob Hope, right? She, she's a very milk toast t- candidate. So isn't Tim Scott. So isn't Pompeo. But I think all these people get in and this is a bit half-baked, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. The reverse is going to happen what happened with Biden. So everyone was told to get into the race with or get out of the race with Biden. They're all told at once, like, you need to get out. It's Biden's job to lose. You need to get out. I think the reverse is happening. I think you're going to get a lot of people that were kind of close to Trump. Nikki Haley didn't necessarily, wasn't in his cabinet. Tim Scott was pretty close to Trump, but in the Senate. Then you get DeSantis, who was kind of an ally to Trump, um, but he's a governor. And they're all going to be younger. And it's not going to be a, a mudslinging fest where people are just like, you know, like it was in 2015 and 2016, where people didn't know how to act, you're going to have a lot of adults going to say, listen, like, yeah, we align with Trump because we like his policies, but he's old and he's going to be a one-term president. And we've got a great group of people who worked with him and know what he wants to accomplish. And they're going to almost reverse do what the Biden administration what, did when Biden ran. What do you think yep. Trump says to that? He's going to do his true social nonsense. He's just going to say rhinos, sabotage me. You know, uh, they'll do the, he'll maybe do the Soros thing, which clearly they're taking that angle. And the, But something you just said, he'll, he, the argument against him is he'll be a one-term president. He's not going to argue that. He's going to argue, I get a sec, I get a third term because my first term was all Russia, Russia, Russia. Right. So what and, do we do then? Like, then you, then, what, however people think Trump is going to argue, and this is kind of where I'm at. He's 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 going to go Thelma and Louise off the cliff of where you think he's going to go. And the media knows this and they're going to get him to go there and he's going to happily go there. And so when you say the argument against him is he's a one term president, he's going to say, uh, and then it's like, OK, what do we do now? So and that, yeah, no, it's a great point. And I think eventually this is where it's a little bit half baked. I think eventually people are going to just start to be like, all right, he's saying he's going to just insert himself again. We're not going to deal with this nonsense. I think organically what will happen is you're going to have these moderate people that have no chance of winning. Tim Scott, Haley, they're going to kind of gravitate towards DeSantis. And this is all pending him announcing he's going to run. And then you're basically going to have a coalition of potential people, cabinet you know, level people, vice presidents, who are going to just basically side at DeSantis be like the movement is with the younger group that has good policies and as crazy as you want to be on the stage, Mr. Trump, like it's not your time. And I think that will get this group over the top. And, and what then, and then what do you think his reaction is to that? Well, I think somebody, I yeah, So I think somebody mentioned to this a couple of uh, Collins ago. I, I wasn't aware of the fact, but is there a sore loser? There are laws. Okay. From, a, per, from basically blocking him from basically going third party and completely blowing up the, uh, the GOP side. There is, there is to an extent, there are, Mm -hmm. there are sore loser laws. Um, the problem is, is he can just tell his people to write his name in. Nothing stops him from saying that. And so does that, is that something that's going to swing an election? I don't know, probably not, but you have to assume, uh, I look at it this way. I, I think you have to assume that if, if he goes sore loser, probably 12% of the Republican base stays home. 
because mm-hmm. they're Trump's base. They're they because yeah. Trump will frame this as here they are. Here's the establishment. Here's a source. Here's everyone ganging up on me. And for some reason, Trump has the touch to where he can make his hardcore followers believe that he's not the establishment when he is the establishment. Yep. And so he that will carry over. There, there is a hardcore base of his that will do whatever he says. Uh, mind you, it's mostly the QAnon people, but they, they will do whatever he says. And if he says stay home or if he decides to say I'm going to endorse Sleepy Joe or whomever, that's another thing where they could just say we, we don't want the Republican Party. You robbed Mr. Trump first. He was robbed of his second term. Now, now you're robbing him of a possibility of another presidency. So Miller, so what, so what, so what do you think is the path them? If like, again, like I don't have the, the strategy thought there. It's not like, I just think what I perceive may happen from a group of people that might get into the race and that like might form and kind of possibly rather, but, rather, rather than just be like a mudsling contest between Rick, not Rick Perry. He wasn't the last one, Jed Bush and Rand Paul and, all the clowns are on that stage and didn't know how to do it. I think there's going to be a little bit more strategy behind it. But then, okay, so if, you, if you're saying this, that Trump's just going to basically get 10% of people to sit home, then do you think that a Republican has a shot in 2024? Because if DeSantis doesn't run now, he's got no, he's got no future as being president. He could be governor, he could be effective there, but he's got no shot. Like, this is his moment. So do you think it's basically tr- Trump's to hand over to somebody else? Like, do we have, is it the drop? We need Trump to drop dead, you know, conundrum. <laughs> <laughs> go to jail or drop dead which one no first of all we we mean natural causes thank you colin um i, I i've I, i've given up making predictions like that because i got most of them wrong in 2016 and so i'm not even in the model of predicting who's going to run or who isn't going to run or anything like that i mean desantis might say i like florida um I don't know. His wife's cancer might come back. He might just say, I'm not going to deal with this. And this is why I tell people to not start getting the cart above the horse is because that's generally politicians will only let you down one way or the other. So if he doesn't run, I think that there's probably a future as the head of the RNC. Um, what What I've said and what I mean on the podcast is I think that there is one alternative to Trump. And when I say that, people think I mean DeSantis. Well, I, I don't know if DeSantis is going to run. Does it look like he is? I'm tilted north to yes now. Like, I think we're getting to that point where the, these guys are going to all start announcing to shore up money. And so the way he's acting, a lot of the way that he's speaking recently, and he has a book coming out, he's doing all those, you know, template things that candidates do. Um, but, but who knows? And I've always said that there's there's only one alternative to Trump. Now, who is that alternative? I don't know. But you can't have six alternatives to Trump. And that's kind of the right. problem. The other thing is, is he doesn't really have – I would agree someone like DeSantis runs on his right, which is why Trump is freaking out. But is Haley someone who runs to the right of Trump? I don't think she can pull that off. Is Tim Scott someone who runs to the right of Trump? I don't think Tim Scott can pull that off. Both are people I – support and vote for, but I just don't think that that's where they're at. So I don't know. Does Mike Lindell get in the race, you know, and who knows then, or does Mike Flynn get in the race? And that's, these are names that people aren't even talking about where I'm sitting here going, yeah, I've, I'd be curious to say Mike, Mike Lindell's polling at this point. Um, Sununu's, you know, whatever, he'll be one and done. Hogan will be one and done. Uh, the, the one thing with Haley that I look at and I go, do I think she's going to be a nominee at this point? No, I don't. But 
I mean, John Kerry was the fucking 2004 nominee. And look how that happened. That basically just happened because there was no one else. So you have Haley, and Haley's interesting in the sense of if you're looking at a primary map. So it goes Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. She, well, South Carolina, she, you would have to think she comes in second or maybe even carries. And that's kind of what I think her team is looking at. If you can come in two, three, four in Iowa, two, three, maybe one, two, three in New Hampshire, and then one, two, three in South Carolina, you carry momentum. The problem is if Tim Scott gets in, that's the senator from South Carolina, and they're going to end up, you know, splitting a vote completely. And so there's no real good scenarios and all I'm just kind of telling people, I'm kind of in the point of the Sean Connery speech from the untouchables when they're in the Canadian cabin and all the people are dancing around nervous. And he's just like, don't, don't want something to happen. Don't even think of something to happen. Just wait and watch what does happen. And then you deal with what does happen. Trump's again, Trump's behavior is really antithetical to who he is right now. And that's the problem. That's why, I was looking at one of his screenshots of truth and he ended up only having like 300 retroops. And I'm not one of those people who talks about crowd sizes and whatever, but I'm sitting there like, this is his platform. And he only got 300 of that. I'm kind of like, this is weird to me. Um, he, he's not the more that, you know, he goes out and he's going after the Florida governor, who's a very popular governor. There wasn't really anybody in 2016 that was popular is the thing. There was, you know, Rubio, the, the immigration cuck, and then there was Rand Paul, the libertarian cuck, and then there was Ted Cruz, the lion Ted cuck, and there was Jeb Bush, the neocon cuck, and, and so everyone went down, but there's no one that was really popular, and you can make an argument that there's one or two people that are more popular than Trump right now. And it's all, all it kind of comes down to is, to me, do you want to relitigate the last eight years or, and here's Trump screaming about lawsuits and it's kind of just like, do, does people really want to go through that? I think because he's Trump, that Republican voters think that he was robbed, that they will. But I look at yeah. it and I'm going, who really wants to put up with this again? One last comment, and I just want to hop off, and one other thought I have about this, where it favors Republicans, and I think specifically DeSantis, I think if they keep it normal with Haley, all the people that were around Trump, but not crazy like Trump. Tim Scott worked very closely with Trump, and he never had a bad word to say about the guy. Um, and what I think happens is Biden runs, and then you got crazy Gavin Newsom, who is crazy. He goes, screw it. This is my moment because DeSantis is getting in. This old guy is going to be representing the Democrat side. Like, he's not going to win. Like, I need to get in because I'm the youth movement. And he bigfoots the whole thing. And he makes that side look like the crazy side. And he gets in and he says all the bad things about Biden and whatever he does about Kamala Harris, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think that it just turns into more chaos for that side. It's kind of what I'm hoping. Um, I, I think they're galvanizing around Biden right now. I don't think they want to. Um, Biden, there was also, I don't know if this was New York Times or whatever, they're counting on Trump being the nominee again. That's the strategy coming to light, is they're going to do exactly what they did in the midterms. They're going to do everything in their power to make Trump the nominee, and that's going to include Biden. Biden, what, this was interesting, like, what was it, Sunday, Saturday? You had Biden going after DeSantis on Twitter over education. You had Trump going after him on True Social. And you had uh, Democrats and media going after him um, for AP student courses or whatever. And I'm thinking, 
he has all three of these entities going after him. And, and he joked about that on Fox, but I kind of thought that that was interesting that Biden singled him out. And even Maggie Haberman suggested that both Trump and Biden aren't going to team up, but they might have this gentlemanly agreement not to go after each other until after the primaries. And that's going to be to solely take out the Florida governor. I only think that that ends up helping him if that's the case. That's the thing you need to pay attention to Trump is he's not going after Biden right now. He's not going after Biden for anything. And that's why, again, this looks weird to me. And it's antithetical about who he was as a candidate in 2016 as to who he is now. Uh, Welcome back. How's it going, Stephen? Good evening. Uh, it's good to be anyway. here earlier on a Monday, so. Amen. Uh, I don't have too much. Uh, a couple of things. I saw where uh, prestigious New York Mayor Eric Adams made a comment on Twitter today to DeSantis about him arriving for a law enforcement event and how we're going to show him some values. And I think I think DeSantis should uh, send some more uh, migrants um, <laughs> on the day that he arrives. That would be good. He just they just approved a budget uh, to do it too in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. you have Eric Adams who was flying migrants to Quebec and Canada had to tell him to stop. And this is where you know it, it was all performative with DeSantis and the, the migrant flights to Martha Vineyard was because he was portrayed instantly in the media as a human trafficker. Uh, the Miami Herald was awarded a poke award today for their coverage on the human trafficking of migrants from Florida to Martha's Vineyard. And yet you have governors in Colorado, you have governors in uh, Michigan, you have other mayors of cities who are doing the exact same thing. And oddly, they're not portrayed as human traffickers. The, t- the tweet just saying is referencing is, uh, welcome to NYC, Governor DeSantis, a place where we don't ban books, discriminate against our LGBTQ neighbors, you asylum seekers as props or let the government stand between a woman and health care. You're happy. We're happy to teach you something about values while you're here. And it was very simple. New York Post, more New Yorkers moved to Florida in 2022 than any year in history in a staggering exodus. Most of those New Yorkers also ended up in Miami. So it's not like there's a huge um, there's not a huge demographic shift in Florida. that's going to shift it blue anytime soon. Um, but, yeah, there's several obviously hypocritical points here. And this is kind of Eric Adams using the cover of the media to be. Yeah, I also saw that uh, somebody uh, reported and tweeted that 700,000 Californians exited. And somebody said, California's done. And I was like, I got a couple million more to go before you really worry about that. But uh, but yeah, and then the only other thing I had was, uh, you know, how do you feel about uh, Sean Payton? Uh, I think he's the right guy for this moment for my Broncos. The thing that I don't like is he has five years, which he'll probably, I don't foresee him getting fired. Um, He has five years and he's going to have to work with uh, Russell Wilson for at least maybe three of them, mostly at two. And then they're going to be, if they get on up, they're going to be in cap hell. And Sean Payton's looking, the thing that's interesting is Sean Payton's looking at the exact same situation that he left New Orleans for. Like he voluntarily said, I'm, I'm not going to coach this because of the salary cap hell that they got in with no quarterback and no ability to sign extra talent. And now he's coaching in Denver that has the exact same problems that he left New Orleans with. So 
I do think he's the best guy for this moment. Um, I, I still, I think next season's still a wash. Um, my Broncos are in a division with Michael Jordan for the next 10 years. And that's kind of how I look at it. I've, I've always said, like, I, I have my Super Bowls. I have three of them. There's a lot of NFL fans that haven't even gotten one. And so I'm kind of at just make this shit fun to watch. Don't make this, like, me begging for a root canal. And that's all I kind of care about. And the stats for the Broncos were so insane last year. It's the worst offense in the NFL history since 1967. But if they had scored, like, one more touchdown a game, they would have been – they would have ended up at, like, 12-4. and four. It's insane. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. And so does Sean Payton win you five more games? Yeah, probably. So it just – it really depends. But, yeah, I think he is the hard ass for the job. I think I kind of wanted Harbaugh more, but I – I well, think they got the best guy for what they need, and you know that's how I looked at it. I'm I'm with you on the. I wanted Harbaugh only because when they asked Russell Wilson what he thought of the candidates, everyone from D'Amico Ryan's down. When he got to Jim Harbaugh, he after he praised everyone profusely, he gets to Jim Harbaugh, goes, "Yeah, he's good." Yeah, <laughs> get Jim Harbaugh. That's probably why Harbaugh turned it down. He's just, I'm not working with this guy. So I think yeah. I think Peyton will do what's necessary, which means he comes in the building and it's his show. No more fucking social media. No more selling your hats. No more, you know, he has to get Russ back to like the end of Rocky Three. Russ. So Russ is like Rocky Balboa at the beginning of Rocky Three. He's you know doing press. He's doing commercials. He's doing merchandise. He's kind of forgotten that he's a football player. And he just yeah. gets the shit kicked out of him by someone who is hungrier than him. And I think that that's what Sean Payton's going to do. He's going to make him remember that you're just rookie Russ now. You're just you're a guy on the bench. And I want them to go out and I want them to sign someone cheaply that doesn't pose a threat, but just they know can come in and be competent. Garner Minshew! Minshew. Yeah, you know, you Russell Wilson. Goes, Minshew's not going to do that. Minshew wants to go start somewhere. So... But that's that's what I want. I want well, them to find someone so. like that that can push him a little bit to know, hey man, if you pull this shit again, you're done after two games. And yeah, we'll bench you. Like we didn't, you know, we paid you, but we'll bench your ass. And so that's the thing I like about this ownership group. Besides Condi Rice, is they're kind of greeted as liberators. But I feel like this ownership group for the Broncos is like Jerry Jones. Like they they're willing to just go out and spend a shit fuck ton of money to do whatever it takes. Like they're going to bring in Rex Ryan. That the thing that I joked it was, and they're bringing in Rex Ryan and all these guys. I'm like, they're assembling like the Bush cabinet right now. Like Rex Ryan's going to come in and be <laughs> Dick Cheney. <laughs> so Sean Payton's Bush and Rex Ryan will be his Dick Cheney, and Connie Rice is already there. And I was thinking, like, they're going to have a super Where's, coaching staff. We need, we need to, who's the Donald Rumsfeld going to be? That's you your def- oh god, that's your defensive. That's your offensive coordinator. Yeah, shock and awe. <laughs> so I started laughing when uh, the, I don't know if anyone of you guys saw, but comfortably smug got a Condoleezza Rice Broncos jersey. Oh my god, didn't two see on it. So yeah, I I mean next season, so just make it entertaining. Don't be don't be the laughing stock of the league. That's all I care about. Just I don't care if you even go eight and eight. Just make it fun to watch. And it, I mean it was towards the end. Like there were some good like spurts there towards the end where I was like, okay, all right, maybe. And so that's all I really care about. Like, you know, I have my, I have my three Super Bowls, and I'm totally happy. Um, just don't fucking be the goddamn Houston Texans. That's all I care yeah. about. Well, right on. Well, go America, go Broncos. You guys have yeah. a good evening. Go America, yeah. Go Broncos. Thanks. Go Broncos.
Hey. Hi, Jacqueline. Hey, how are you? Would you would you like to tell the room that I made that I made do that I made good on my bet? Yeah, I was going to tell them that you made good on your bet, and um, also with your um, goalie. We, can we get an update on what happened with that? I know you said earlier that you got a second goalie. Yeah. But I just didn't know if you kind of are going to bench your nope. other goalie. No, I mean, it's beer league, so you don't really bench guys. Like, I'm not a coach. I'm not a manager. I, I am the captain. So I kind of talk to the refs during the game and when I can. Uh, I organize, so I make sure that, you know, I send out a weekly email. And then, of course, you know, I did the, I did the uniforms. But you don't really bench dudes in beer league because they're paying to play. Um, generally, that, that those kinds of issues take care of themselves. So, no, my goal is not to bench him. My goal is to now send him a message that I don't need him. So that's... No, like, she, a, a second goalie doesn't sit on the bench, right? So she's just there in reserve. So if he can't play, we call her up, and then she's going to play that game. And um, if he takes this as kind of a shot and he says he quits, okay, then he quits, and I have a goalie. So, no, you can't really bet it. I was on a team a few years ago where a captain tried to bench a guy and the captain almost got the shit kicked out of him for doing that. No, it wasn't me. I wasn't the guy. Um, it's just because it's, it's recreational, but it's a competitive recreational sport. That's kind of my thing is even if it's beer league hockey, hockey players are competitive. I mean, that's just, it's in, it's just kind of in their bones. And so even if it's shit like worst D league out there to C to B, um, then it is. So there's a kind of a little bit of an expectation that, look, man, 15 other people made the game. You didn't. And it wasn't because of like you had an emergency. So no, he's not benched. Uh, but I did send the email today that, that welcomed her to the team. And I didn't introduce her as a backup goalie. I just said, we're adding a second goalie. And that was it. And so hopefully he gets the message. That's, that's kind of the point of that. Okay, and I didn't know if you saw the um, Ducks-Kings um, game where the goalie fight almost happened. No. And the East was that announcer. Yeah. The, duck, the yeah. Ducks goalie doesn't need to be fighting anyone. He needs to be stopping the puck. Well, That's a very there bad... was like, there was a... Uh, instance in the game this past weekend I think I sent it to you on Twitter but um, yeah there was like a fight happening and the Ducks goalie came out of his goal and ended up at the halfway line and like the ref came and stopped him but he like dropped his stick and was like dropping his gloves and was going to fight the goalie and the ESPN announcer was saying that it was like, oh, well, goalie, everyone likes a goalie fight, but it's not good for the game. It was was a match. So I'm looking at it. Los Angeles Kings overcome a goaltender. So goaltender got a match penalty. So I don't know if the the Kings goalie was fighting and came out to respond to him. And they ejected, they ejected the Kings goalie over it. So, yeah. So like the goalie was like dogpiling a player in the crease and then Gibson came out 
but they had already stopped it and uh, the Kings had won 6-3. And that's why the Ducks goalie should not be fighting. I love Gibson, by the way. That was a guy I wanted, you know, Colorado to pick up and I still might want them to at the trade deadline, but they got Georgiev. Um, but yeah, I love Gibson as a goalie. He's just a great goalie on a bad team and he could end up finding himself a new home. Maybe in Tampa Bay. Because you guys have severe goalie problems down there. Yeah, well, I don't. I wouldn't say severe, but I'm tr- Jacqueline. I'm trolling needed. you. He's the best goaltender <laughs> in the world. But I wouldn't say severe, but I would say we need another one. But um, and just to like piggyback on what you're saying about Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, like. They're going to be there, and they're going to be vice president. They're not going to be president. And DeSantis isn't going to announce until after the Florida legislature closes. So anyone yeah, that's... Saying, like, it, would be, it wouldn't be even until late May. So everyone needs yeah, to cool, April everyone or needs May, to cool yeah. their jets. Yeah, because he... Because like, that's been his whole thing the entire time is... I'm focused on my job, and the legislature's happening right now, so until like the end of March. So he's not going to say anything until after the legislature closes, and if it gets extended. So it won't be until like April or May until he announces. And so everyone just needs to cool their heels, and he'll announce in. Like you said, April or May, and then we'll have it all wrapped up by then. Yeah, and then that's when the fun begins. What's just making Trump go cuckoo is he's he's had people, and I think it's making the media go cuckoo. You see Maggie Haberman's out there poking a stick uh, on the new DeSantis beat. And as I've said, 99% of the time when Maggie Haberman says a tr- source close to Trump She's talking about Trump. Trump is her source. And I was thinking about this the other day about how Maggie Haberman, she did this today where she said, uh, besides the meatball Ron comment that overshadowed everything. And I thought, hold on, that was in your story. And it was phrased as in private conversations, Trump is referring to him as meatball Ron. And that's Trump telling Maggie Haberman, hey, I'm, you know, we're trying these out, Meatball Ron. What do you think about that? And Maggie just kind of goes, mm-hmm, along with it. And then she puts it in her story. It becomes a big thing in the story. And she's like, well, despite the outrage over that, well, you're the one that reported it. So here's how this goes. Here's, here's how this relationship between Haberman and Trump goes. Trump then responded when she put – Trump basically tells her that. She puts it in her story. Trump goes on True Social and says it's fake news that he would never call him that. And if you notice, Haberman never denies it. That's the game that she plays. She knows that he said that, but Haberman doesn't go out and call him out and say he actually does call him Meatball Ron in stories like this. I know because he's my source, because she needs to keep this shit going as well. And that's the that's the one thing you never really see Haberman do is push back when Trump calls her a fake news liar. She never does it, and that's because she knows that there's a game going on and that Trump doesn't really mean it, and then he'll be on the phone with her the next day. And so I look at this and I say – God, I I forgot even my original point. 
Trump's, I guess I was saying is Trump's never had someone to really, he's had people ignore him. Like, and then when it's too little, too late, it's like, whatever. But he hasn't had someone ignore him because he's too busy uh, passing legislation that most Republicans and conservatives find agreeable. And that's Trump's challenge. So all he can do is say, well, he's George Soros. Well, no, he's not. He fired a Soros prosecutor. Um, he locked down the beaches. Well, no, he didn't because you went after him for for opening early as well. You went after the Georgia governor for opening early. Also, you did whatever Anthony Fauci told you to do. Uh, he's endorsed by Paul Ryan. Well, sir, you worked with Paul Ryan to pass a trillion dollar tax cut that is now coming back to bite us all in the ass by inflation. He can do all of that. And Trump ultimately cannot run from a record. And that's Trump's problem is he's not highlighting what he did that was good. And he's instead focusing on the last two weeks of his presidency and who dare you want to come in and stop me from another one. And that's Trump's ultimate problem is he's just not disciplined enough to stay on message. When now you have someone who is as good at taking on the media who looks pretty disciplined at staying on message. And so will it work? I don't know. Does he run? I don't know either. But those are the contrasts happening. And that's why it looks like Trump is just completely flailing. I will agree that Trump just because I'm one of those voters that voted for him twice, but I wouldn't vote for him again because, like you said, he's just flailing and you can see it every day that he's just trying so hard to get everyone to get on his message and it just doesn't work. And, you know, I live in Florida, so I know... Ronnie D, I like him, and so if he were to run, which he probably will announce in two months, like, that's what I'm going to do, but I just don't understand how people are still on the Trump train when you, like, you can see in real time how bad he just is just grasping for air and like grasping for branches like to do something because he doesn't have anything to run on and people can see very easily that DeSantis has actually has a performance that he can prove to everyone else and after this I'll let the next person go. Yeah, I mean, Trump could make a case if I'm if I'm other Stephen Miller, I guess I look at it and I say the only a lot of the only time a former president can run to recapture his presidency is pretty much on the see I told you so ticket. And I think that there are areas where he could do that with Joe Biden. You could do it with inflation. Um, You could do it with the economy. You could do it with overall direction of the country. Uh, the problem is when Trump was in office, there wasn't a lot of talk about woke gender theory and woke critical race theory. And governors latched onto that. And DeSantis was pretty much the first person to say, uh-uh, we're not doing this. So anything Trump does to uh, try to co-opt those issues, DeSantis can say, well, we were there first. And I guess I don't know if I see enough of a candidacy for him to say, hey, you know, See, I told you so, like I told you what Biden was going to be like, 
because, you know, Biden's sitting at 41, 42, 43 percent, even though 71 percent of the country thinks it's headed in the wrong direction. And uh, and also, thank you, Jackie. Um, Trump could technically run on of, see, you, you want me back. Don't you miss me? Um, but it just comes down to, is he disciplined enough to stay on that message? And as of now, he's not. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. Um, I have a, I guess it's a local Chicago story, but it, it touches on a lot of the themes of your podcast. And uh, I guess to borrow one of your favorite phrases, the Chicago Tribune committed uh, journalism this weekend, where they reported that the Chicago Teachers Union has donated over $1 million to um, one of the Chicago mayoral candidates, and his name is Brandon Johnson. Yeah. And shockingly, Stephen, he's a former CTU organizer. Yeah. I know it's – Yeah, they never, they never go – they never go – They like Chicago and these cities like Baltimore, they just keep going further left. Like anybody to the right is uh, not worth it. Um, I, I was trying to pull this up real fast to just inform people. Chicago Teachers Union's big spending on Brandon Johnson for mayor draws criticism over, this is a paywalled, and I'm not paying you, union influence and pushback among some members. That's the headline. I wish I could read more from this, but I'm not going to try the Chicago Tribune. So I'll let you. Yeah, and, and I think you just touched on the key aspect of the story is the in the story, there are CTU members that are quoted as saying that there was not even a vote for this. This was done just at the sole discretion of the executive committee and, you know, was not put to a vote for the members. And there's, they've also, the CTU has also borrowed dues money against future contributions to its political fund. And just to make sure that this, you know, this Brandon Johnson, who's, I mean, depending on the polls, he's running fourth or fifth. He probably does not have a, a good chance, maybe a chance to get to the runoff, but there's no plan to pay that money back. And it, it's just, I mean, it, it's, it shouldn't be surprising, but it, to me, I, I guess it still is. Um, and, Look, this is the same teachers union that had that infamous tweet. I think it was in 2021 where it was Re- returning to school is, is racism. Yeah, it's yes, exactly. It, it's 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 rooted in uh, sexism, racism and misogyny. So what Andrew's talking about here, I did. I found I did find a link and uh, I know someone who works for Illinois policy. It's an actual group and it's funny great Twitter site, by um, yeah, and I know someone who works there and they send me their tweets once in a while to retweet or just look at it. And I talked to this person. So from their website, the Chicago Teachers Union has funded more than $17 million to Illinois political committees since 2010, when the militant caucus of rank and file educators took over leadership. Now one of their employees is running for Chicago mayor. And I'm just going to read a bit from this. When Karen Lewis and her caucus of rank and file educators took over the Chicago Teachers Union in 2010, it launched the union into years of activism, strikes, and political wrangling. Since then, CTU 
and its political action committee have directed nearly $17.2 million to political committees, according to records with the Illinois State Board of Elections. Those records show contributions to candidate committee includes over $2.5 million to Illinois Senate and House candidates, over $1.3 million to current Chicago mayoral candidates, and over $505,000 to current Chicago alderman candidates. This includes nearly $590,000 to Brandon Johnson, a CTU lobbyist in his current bid for mayor. It also includes an additional $12.7 million directed to other political committees and candidates. Yeah, I mean, that's public. This is the reason public sector unions need to go. They're slush funds. That's all they are. And the forcing them to pay dues is the biggest thing. This is what Scott Walker fought in Wisconsin was uh, getting rid of card check and getting rid of mandatory union dues. And we saw the hissy fit occupying the state house and the courthouse uh, that we saw was over that. And so I'll I'll let you continue. I just kind of wanted to inform the room what this was about. But, yeah, this is absurd. Yeah, it it really is. And I, I don't really have that much more to add. Um, but you said you said the Chicago Tribune committed an act of journalism. Did they were they critiquing this or was it just the fact they even reported? I think it was just the fact that they reported on it and they quoted some members as just having the gall to question, you know, where their dues are actually going. Uh, so they didn't go all the way there. Do you think um, teachers in Chicago don't care, though? Do you think that they just do this willingly because they agree with? basically the party who's running Chicago or are I, what do you know if it's in Chicago, it's mandatory union fees. If you're, if your teacher's part of the teacher union, you owe part of your salary or do you know how that works? Uh, unfortunately, I do not know how it works. Okay. Cause I mean, I know, I know in some parts it's voluntary. You don't have to be in the union. I know in some places I think you do. And most of those places are of course, extreme progressive enclaves. But um, yeah, I guess I look at this and I'm just, you you shrug and you just go, of course, all of this money is, and then of course, it's all a detriment to schools, of course. And this is why, you know, public schools are failing in urban areas because they just see this. They see a way to just keep extracting funds away from places where they should be. Um, and if, I, I don't believe there should be any public sector unions. I, I think that the public sector is your union as it is. And that can be police union. It can be firefighters union. It can be teachers unions. Nowhere, nowhere. There should not be public sector unions. I don't even think at this point there should be private sector unions, but that's a completely other issue. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I, I'd seen this one floating around, but I'm glad that you brought it up because it's funny because I was talking with people from Illinois policy, but yeah, it's, it's absurd and they keep doing it. And until people in Chicago decide that they've had enough, which doesn't look like anytime soon, um, uh, it's pretty much single party control since 1927. I mean, you're literally coming up on a hundred years of single party control in the city of Chicago and they'll either learn or they won't, but it is funny how, you know, when cities like this, when you get mayoral candidates, it's never someone to the right that has a chance. It's always like someone further. And f- yeah, and and actually, there there is a candidate this year by the name of Paul Vallis, and he was in, I believe, he was in Mayor Daley's administration, um, maybe ten, fifteen years ago. But I mean, he's obviously still a Democrat, but he is, I would say. A little more centrist than most candidates and he actually has you know some backing this year and he may be able to get to a runoff um which i, I think is good news for residents of chicago uh but and 
just piggybacking, I guess, on an earlier caller's point about residents fleeing New York City. Uh, I mean, Chicago is just another example. I mean, they've lost, I think, I think it's almost 50,000 residents since 2021. Um, and re the Chicago Public Schools spends approximately $28,000 per year per student. Um, and, you know, the proficiency percentage is, you know, abysmally low, um, which is it's just... It's such a shame, and it's, it's awful to think about how much money is spent and um, uh, with no real return. Um, and, and I guess I'll just end this on, I guess, the chef's kiss, and then I'll turn it over to the next caller uh, because the, the CTU president did respond, um, I think, via Twitter, via a quote tweet on one of the, the reporters on the story, and she compared the reporting to Nazi propaganda. So, <laughs> That's awesome. When all else fails, That's, I mean, it's white supremacy, disinformation, yeah. and propaganda. Yeah, when when everything's a nail, and that's their one thing. Um, I've said I've said that this is why the reaction to Nikki Haley was was it was what it was is because they don't know how to argue anything else anymore. I think they are so one inundated with the Obama years. And of course, then, you know, trying to make every, you know, whenever there's an election year, they go scouring the countryside for one police officer's misconduct in a Democrat run city against a black person. And here we go. Um, I just think that's the only issue they know how to argue. And I think a lot of it has to do with just trying to keep your your African-American base, you know, on the plantation so would be a, a way to say that which is just keep them upset and keep them voting the way that they want because that's a good you know that's a good chunk of your voting block and again i would agree when if nikki haley you saw this last this whole week-long thing about the intellectual left's argument against her name and it was people like jameel hill and it wasn't so much like white pundits some of them were but it was mainly pundits of color that were going after her for her name and if I had any advice for Haley, she needs to get a social media team similar to the one the governor of Florida has, where you are absolutely take no fucking prisoners and you're you're on you. You should have two to three people on your presidential staff that are glued to Twitter. That's their only fucking job is to just respond to these kinds of tweets. And you have to do it in a way where you're ripping out jugulars and does she, does her and her team have that? Or are we at, she's got a great story to tell. I don't know, but I haven't seen that. So that to me is something that her team should probably benefit from, but wait till Tim Scott gets in. Um, you saw that they just objected. I think, what was it? Georgia to a statue of Clarence Thomas. Like that was a whole long Twitter debate. And they're like, nah, he's uncle Tom. He's uncle Thomas. And then Jenny tried to, overturn the like, and I'm thinking just like man I mean that's one of the reasons I think they're so single-mindedly narrow focused on you know racial Marxism which is what I wish they would stop start calling equity instead of say, calling it equity they need to start calling it what it is out loud and presidential candidates just need to say uh, you know we're not going to go for this form of racial Marxism and when Chuck Todd goes whoa 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 what what did you just call it did you just say that that's equity you go yeah it's racial Marxism and you start making that label stick Christopher Rufo is very good at doing that 
And so I think that that was part of the reason why someone like Haley, who's just kind of this nice, affable Republican, you saw the fangs come out over her race when there's 50 other things you can hit her over. They went straight to that. And so um, I think that that has a large part to do with it. It's trying to keep a good chunk of their bloating voting block intact and upset. And if you do that, you have a good chance to pretty much, you know, stay in just about any election that you're in. Uh, Andrew, thank you. Good topic. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you brought that. That was a that was a fun one off the reservation. Speaking of Samuel, go ahead. Yeah. So unfortunately, I pretty strongly disagree with Matt, the first caller, about how he thinks the uh, 2024 primary is going to go. I feel like, and I, I think in a perfect world, sure, but I think in the uh, the fallen world in which we live, he is much too optimistic about, number one, the egos of Republicans who are going to be running, and number two, the fact that they'll have any strategy whatsoever, know when to get out, etc. I just, I, I, I'm very pessimistic at this moment in time. Uh, the thing that you have to, most people who jump in the race think, like, especially when you're looking at people at one, two percent, um, you know, when you're looking at somebody who's at a one or two, if you're looking at like a Larry Hogan, this is a, this is a good example. If you're looking at someone like Larry Hogan, who's somebody's telling him to run. Okay. That, Someone is probably media-friendly RNC people, uh, Chris Christie, Bill Crystal, uh, Bulwark people, Dispatch people. It's probably them saying, hey, just get in and make an argument, okay? Just get in and muck things up. And these people believe their own hype. The thing about most politicians is they're sociopaths, okay? And they're narcissists, like clinical narcissists. So they're going to believe their own shit. And no matter, you and I can sit here and go, where, where is Larry Hogan's path? Like, what what is it? And they'll make an argument for you. Well, you know, we get out there and work hard and we get on the ground and we, and you and I can sit here and say, dude, you're at one fucking percent. Like, what are you doing? Like the thing that you realize is that most of them who are going to jump in the race are going to jump in with something thinking that they can win. What that is, is I don't know. That's why I'm kind of gaming out Haley's strategy. I was like, okay, well she has South Carolina third. That like, that's a good position to be in. Does it make you going to win Super Tuesday? I don't know, but at least your state that you're popular in is right there at number three in the primary schedule. Is anybody counting on Larry Hogan carrying Maryland all the way to the presidency? No, nobody's. <laughs> and somebody like Larry Hogan's problem is even to someone who's a pretty rational, I don't want to say, I'll say I'll call myself an extreme centrist. I said it on Twitter this weekend when he goes on and he's talking about DeSantis and education. You can't you can't interfere with education because that's big government. It's like, hold on, the, the government sets the education curriculum. He's accepting Chuck Todd's framing of events. And as I said on Twitter, you cannot go on Meet the Press thinking you're going to be the Republican nominee for president while accepting Chuck Todd's framing of the issues. That's over with. That's done. That is never going to happen again. The Republican who probably becomes the nominee is the one who doesn't go on meet the press at all. And that's where we're at. We're in an alternative media universe. And so all of these people are getting in are thinking that somehow they could end up the nominee. There's always the kind of the Rick Santorum who just does it every year because it keeps your profile high. It keeps you on media, it keeps you in book conversations. And that's just a fact of life. So 
I don't look at them as all forming a coalition to team up to stop someone because they think that they're the person that needs to be stopped, regardless of the reality that you and I sit in Mm -hmm. and go, Chris Sununu could be sitting in the United States Senate right now, and he's not going to be, he didn't have someone in his ear 18 months ago saying, sir, you're not going to be president in this landscape. That guy over there is probably going to get the nomination. And it's, you're just, you're in a different world. However, sir, you are drawing pretty popular support for the Senate. Maybe you should look at that. No, I'm pre- I'm a president. Okay. And that's how that goes. And a lot of these guys don't have that person. They don't have someone in their ear going, you don't have a path, sir. And usually that person is like their family or they need an advisor. But any advisor who says that to him is usually fired. And so there could come a time when four, five, and six all drop out and they all endorse DeSantis. But I don't know. Does DeSantis want John Bolton's endorsement? Because John Bolton's another one who's talking about jumping in. And it's kind of like, I mean, that's another one Trump's hitting neocon Ron on. It's like, all you have to do is hold up the photo of Trump shaking hands with John Bolton. Like, this is insanity to me. Um, But yeah, I I don't, I think it's just going to be complete fucking chaos. And I think it could go just like it did in 2016, or they might all jump out and form a coalition. But then you have Trump and his QAnon nutbags are going to say, see, there's the swamp trying to stop me again. There they all are. And then back there is Mitch with Coco Chow. And that, you know, people think people think that he's just it's just going to be normal again. And I joked with Zed Jelani. I'm like, wait till Trump calls her Nikki Curry. You know, like you have no idea the way where he's going here. Yeah. So, no, I 100 percent agree. Uh, Quick point on Larry Hogan. Yeah, he'd, he'd be an awesome senator from Maryland. Like, awesome. But as a presidential candidate, come on, like that clip of him saying that on Chuck Todd. Oh, my God. The dude, fact that, that you're willing to even go on like, Chuck Todd is enough to make people is just a problem. go. Unless you're going on there to fucking correct him and get in a sparring match with him, you don't go on his show, period. And that's yeah. it. And so you, I don't understand like why you think you might need Meet the Press. I think DeSantis' people understand that. I think there are certain programs you might entertain going on because you think you might need them. But I would love to see, like, you know, DeSantis basically, the the view called him Satan incarnate, and then they invited him on, and he's like, fuck you, I'm not coming on your show until you apologize. And I think that there's a contingent there where I'm like, dude, just go on the view and and just destroy these ladies. And, you know, um, but there is there is an argument to be made that it's just pointless. Like there's no point in even wasting the time and money to go to go do it. And so that's kind of my attitude with Larry Hogan. Nice guy. He's not going to win on a you know gun control pro choice platform. I don't know why you think that that's the case. Um, but you're not going to become the nominee by going on Meet the Press and chumming it up with Chuck Todd. That's it. Like your candidacy is over even before it began. Yeah, and again, just the point of where I think this is, like, I, 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 this 2016 primary, I don't think many people were particularly pleased with what came out of it. But I do think that the primary itself was pretty awesome. The fact that they're just fucking throwing punches at each other is so much better than the Democrats when they were playing patty cake until that one debate where they finally went at each other. But for the most part, They played patty cake and, ooh, boo, Donald Trump. We all hate Donald Trump. The Republicans at least fight each other. And the idea that that's just going to go away, like it happened in 2012. 
I mean, Newt Gingrich went after Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, mind you, that he was too anti-immigrant, that he was the most anti-immigrant candidate in the, uh, in, in the uh, primary field. Like, this is like precedent that Republicans will just bash the living hell out of each other. And you're already seeing it. Hogan attacked DeSantis. Sununu attacked DeSantis. Gnome is attacking DeSantis. Like, the idea that, number one, they're going to be, they're going to play nice and just go after Trump is wrong because there's no inclination that's the case because they all want to be the, uh, like you mentioned, there's one alternative Trump. They all want to be that one alternative. And how do they become that one alternative? By attacking the other alternatives, not by attacking Trump himself. So that presents a problem there. And number two, like, it's it's going to be just as nasty as it was in 2016, if not worse, honestly. Like, you already see what Trump is, you know, meatball Ron and all this stuff. You know, he's playing patty cake right now. When DeSantis inevitably gets in, you think he's not going to go after uh, DeSantis's wife? Like, you think he's not going to put her on blast and say that she, like, faked breast cancer or something yeah, like that's, that? I mean, that's where that's I'm not at. Coming? People, like, people have no idea where he's going to go. I mean, you kind of do have an idea, but I'm saying is like, however, however you think it's going to go times it by about 10 because that's it. And then I would also remark, like I say this with Mark's Bay, just pace yourselves. Uh, I'm in this, I'm in this for a living and I'm already just like looking at a bottle of pills because I'm already talking about one election cycle. And now we're talking about another one. So my attitude is kind of just, pace yourselves and don't don't get upset speculating on what's going to happen just watch what happens when it happens and you know i, I see this on social media where people are all in on one thing or they're all in on another and i'm just like you, you want you're all just going to be let down here eventually one way or the other so you know go touch some grass and take it easy here because in about six to seven months you have absolutely no idea where this is going to end up yeah i'll, I'll get it. last thing i'll say is i think it's gonna be a ton of fun Like, it's going to be awful listening to Trump, but I think it's going to be awesome. Like I said, just like 2016, like, I mean, you had the Rubio-Cruz matches. That that wasn't really awesome. I thought it was hysterical (laughs) as entertainment value. That's kind of the problem, though, isn't it? That's kind of the problem, isn't it? Uh, we saw we saw Alyssa Farah today on the View. Oh Jesus Christ! Praising Trump for his, <laughs> for his honesty with his base and going after DeSantis. And you know, I said on Twitter, someone should tell her not to make it this uh, obvious what you're doing because they are they are going to do it. And hey, why wouldn't why wouldn't she though? She worked for Trump. She clearly, there you, go. you know, she's rooting for him. I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah, like, well, come is. on. Yep, of course she is. Of course they all are. That's what yeah. you have to kind of get. So. Here's the, yeah, and I, yeah, last thing I'll say is just, I can't wait till Tim Scott get jumps in and Glenn Kessler re-ups his 23 and me. They're, um, they're, they're all, they're all going to do that. So it's, it, you have no idea. You have no idea what it's going to be like with him. So, all right, Samuel, uh, I'm going to take Jenny as the last call just because we've been going here for about an hour. And uh, sorry for those of you, I see a couple people jumping in the queue. Um, I'm probably going to be back here maybe Wednesday or Thursday uh, of this week. So uh, if you like what you're hearing and you want to jump up in the queue and I just didn't get around to you tonight, just feel free to jump in. Uh, Just follow versus media here and just wait for the alerts. So yeah, I I saw Brady. I saw a couple others, uh, but we're just trying to just wrap up here in a a good time with an hour. So Jenny, you're a final one. Don't make it. (laughs) No promises. (laughs) 
I just finished watching James O'Keefe video and wondered what you thought about what's happening with Project Veritas. Um, also, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say two things. Um, I I did some I did some behind the scenes uh, video work for O'Keefe back. Oh God, I think it was like 2012. So, uh, and when I no longer was doing that, I signed an NDA. So there's a limited amount of what I can talk about with Veritas and whatnot. I wasn't one of like the sneaky people in mustaches. That's, I was, I was, uh, his, his long-term video slash illustrator editor had relocated and he needed someone for a project. And I got recommended through uh, a mutual and uh, so I came in and I did a couple of projects, just editing stuff together and consulted with him. And uh, after after two or three projects, we just moved on. And so I'm limited about what I can say. Um, what I will what I what I will say is that so, some of it is some of what's out there on him is true, and some of it isn't. And I'm sorry that that's so vague. Um, and that's pretty much all I can really say about it. So some of it I get. Um, I'm not someone who's, you know, rah, rah, all in. I think Veritas does important work. Um, I think the media hypocrisy behind how Veritas does undercover stings, uh, and that's not considered journalism, while Time Matt, you know, 60 Minutes will do the very same fucking thing that he does. Um, that is considered journalism based on the target. Uh, I will say um, he's been caught. Uh, in particular, trying to do things that seem unethical, where it's not that we're trying to expose something. Um, one was from a few years ago. Um, how you feel about that, I guess, is how you feel about him. Um, but, I'm, you know, that's kind of where I am on, on some of this stuff. I think that that style of undercover journalism is important. Now, do I agree with the tactics of using, like, Tinder dates and stuff to do it? Eh, not really. Um, those people are in a per, you know, in a personal capacity. They're not really, you know, to me, high value targets, but you know, you, I think you have to be on guard for that kind of stuff. So no matter how I feel about that kind of stuff, I do think that the kind of journalism Veritas or whatever James is going to do, he's going to take on a new project. Um, I think that there's value there if the value is honest and if it's ethical and the video I did, um, was, um, when they were trying to pass gun control laws in one of these states, he had people basically question police officers, um, you know, on an undercover camera, on a body camera, like, how long will it take for me? Um, how long will it take for you to get to my house if I call 911? And like the average answer was like 12 to 13 minutes. And so that was, if you go way back in time, I did the editing on that video. And I thought that that was a good one. I thought that was, you know, holy shit. Like I, if someone gets in my house, I'm 13 minutes, you know, I just have to like deal with this. And so that's, of course, you know, Second Amendment style videos. So uh, I think what he does is valuable. I can say that there's, you know, things that I witnessed that I think were questionable. Um, but that's about as much as I can go into it just based on my personal opinion. And Seymour Hirsch. And Nord Stream Pipeline, what do you think? Um, interesting. And I talked about it on the podcast. And I, th I think what lends credibility to his case was Biden's own reaction and the, sec you know, the State Department's own actions and words. I don't necessarily fully buy into the Tom Clancyfication of, um, of the theory. And it is just a theory, but it's one that no one was talking about. And I think what's interesting is how 
the press just kind of dropped that investigation. So what was it? Biden said in February, if I'm trying to remember my timeline, Biden said in February when he was asked, you know, what happens if Russia invades Ukraine? And can you believe we haven't even been a year in Ukraine? It feels like this fucking thing has been going on for five years. Um, but Biden said, we'll make, sh- we, we, we'll make sure that Nord Stream doesn't go forward. And the reporter said, how are you going to do that? And he just kind of blankly stared at me and goes, we'll see to it. We have ways. And that was really kind of obscure and kind of dark. And, and it was like, Victoria oh. Newland too. Right. And so it's like, what, what do you mean you have ways? The fact that they wouldn't answer it suggests they have military ways of dealing with it. Well, how are you going to militarily deal with a pipeline underwater? I, I guess you can drop a missile on it. I guess you can fly an airplane over it. Um, so I don't know if I completely buy the remote control buoy strapped with explosives thing to it, but it's it's plausible. The depth of the water is plausible and everything. Um, but it's Biden's own words that lend credence to that theory. It's, and it's his department's own reaction that leads credence to that theory. And it's his administration's own focus on renewable energy, especially throughout Europe, because that will transfer over to the United States that lends credence to the theory. And it also lends credence to the theory that he's going to punish Putin in ways that he can't do it uh, publicly and diplomatically and with sanctions. And so that I can all buy. Well, do I actually buy the, you know, you know, fucking spy team going and doing all of that and all of these training things? I don't know. Um, I do find it interesting that this explosion happened in September. There was like a week's worth of media press on it and everyone was kind of like, who the fuck did that? And then there was no follow ups. The, the last time that there was like a major news article on it was that December. And it was, you know, focused on. Thanks, Russia. Like it was the New York Times blaming Russia when an international investigation suggests that it wasn't Russia that did it. So that is one of those investigative pieces that should be taken. You know, it's what it is. You read it and there's some interesting things in there. Biden's own words make me skeptical on it. And it's like, why? Why didn't he say how they would do that? Because that to me is a president avoiding an answer. Well, if he's avoiding an answer, that means he's trying to hide something. And so I think that that does lend a lot of credibility to the theory. Now, as far as Seymour Hirsch, yeah, a long time ago, credible journalist, but he's also done really kooky things. He's he's trafficked in really kooky shit. And that's why I warn people, you know, you have to read all of this stuff, you know, with a cynic's mind. And that, that's kind of something I try to, I don't want to say teach, but that's something I try to get people to pay attention to, whether it's political left, political right. I think that you have to go into just about anything like this with a cynical mind. And so you say, that's great. Are we are we going to hold in, in, you know, hearings on this to find out if it's true? I don't know. Is that going to be a waste of time? I do think it was interesting. You know, you have a guy who is somewhat reputable, who, but who's also made crazy claims. He was instantly labeled an asset for Russia and a conspiracy theorist. And as Matt Taibbi notes, that seems to be the go-to thing even after like the Hamilton 68 shit got revealed. And so kind of where I am, you know, with, I don't want to say anti-Ukraine. One of the things that I find very distasteful from people who are pro, very pro-Ukraine is that anyone who suggests, you know, hey, how long is this support going to go? How much more money are we going to pour into this? Um, Why does it look like you're paying more attention to Ukraine's border than our own? Um, If you even raise a question like that, you're automatically labeled a Putin sympathizer from anyone um, on that side. 
And I have a real distaste for that. And I'm someone who feels burned by that because that's kind of how we went through the Iraq war, which is anyone who kind of started to question, hey, what are we still doing there? Whatever. It's like, you don't support America. You don't support the war. And it's like, well, no, hold on. And so that's kind of one of the distaste things I have in my mouth over the extreme pro-Ukraine stuff. Uh, does Putin need to be defeated? Yes, absolutely, he does. I hope he gets his ass shit-canned back to Moscow where he can live out, you know, a couple of three, four, five, six, seven years in humiliation. Um, do I agree with 100% an open-ended commitment that's going to last years and years? I don't think that anyone's for that. And so you guys better start trying to navigate a way out of this. And so if I suggest that and if I say that, I'm now a Putin sympathizer, and that's kind of how it goes. So the Seymour Hersh stuff is it's fascinating. It's interesting. Um, is it completely out of the realm of possibility? No, but and the only reason it's complete, not completely out of the realm of possibility is because of Newland and Biden and Blinken's own words. I agree. He said at the end of his piece, this is just the beginning. So for all those on Twitter saying, oh, this has been debunked, that's the word they like to use, absolutely proven untrue. He said, no, this is just the beginning. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what he comes up with next. I think, Thanks for taking my yeah, call. I think how, what's interesting is how, and as someone who's just now a regular Substack person, is, is how you know, he made that announcement. He landed on Substack. And, of course, then he had Barry Weiss and stuff. Substack's very good at, I don't want to say monetization. I want to say tracking attention to what they're doing in the sense of bringing on different writers and stuff. I mean, that was Seymour Hersh's first Substack, And so um, I have to think that if they were working with someone like me to move my, my small little operation over, they probably were working with him to say, we're going to drop this bomb, pardon the pun, on Substack on this Monday, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think Substack's people have part of the game figured out as far as it goes with independent journalism. It just has to be credible. That's, you know, you, if you have a platform where people are just throwing out every which conspiracy theory, whichever, which is I'm totally fine. With. I, I don't care. Someone can start a Substack and write anything they want. Um, but if you're trying to sell yourself as like a credible uh, independent media organization with several writers under one umbrella, um, you better hope some of the shit sticks. Well, Michael Tracy's over in Germany this week, and he was getting right in the face of some of the senators who were there with Kamala Harris and asking them about Seymour Hersh's piece and what do you think? A few of them claimed they'd never even heard anything that he wrote, which surprised me. Yeah, I mean, that's typical politician response. You just play dumb to everything that, you know, you get ambushed on. It's, I don't know who you're talking about. I, have, I don't know what, even know what a substack is, but we're going to call it for congressional hearings because of Russia or some shit. So... Um, I never understand how some of these independent people travel so much. Like where, granted, I don't travel a ton because I mean, I have commitments here at my place and, you know, and dogs and stuff like that. But it's always weird. Like, like how does Nick Fuentes fly all over the fucking place or how does like, and I'm not comparing, but it's like how you get like independent journalists, like flying into Germany. And I'm just like, oh, that's just, I guess that's your job. Um, but that's that's funny to me. Yeah, I just think that's natural response to getting ambushed. Is I don't, I have no idea who these people are. So that's obvious. Well, he's fight. over there, in my opinion, asking the right questions. He does report that the journalists have been cordoned off, and they're really being prevented from hanging out with the VIPs and asking them questions. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm is there, is there his, anything his happening in Germany that they could discuss at Davos? What a month ago? Like, what the right. fuck is this? 
Like you guys are going to have one of these, you know, stone cutters, globalist conferences every month while you lecture Jim, John Kerry's there lecturing about the climate again. It's like, did he really say anything new that he didn't say at Davos? Like, I don't know. And, well, Biden's it, in Ukraine. So, I mean, there's yeah. lots of virtue signaling going on all over the place about yeah. how, how all in they are with the war. But man, if it comes out that the Biden administration blew up that pipeline, I, I think that's an impeachable offense. It would be another one, certainly, or be one you'd have to explain, you know, it's, it wouldn't be, you know, that's, you could argue something along the lines of Iran-Contra and things like that, but it would be international, it would be an international crime, it would be an international incident. Um, you know, if he's, if he was doing it in coordination with the EU, that would have consequences. And I think that that's what everyone's kind of sitting here like, at what point does our involvement in Ukraine end up with Putin launching a missile at Alaska? And I think that that's, that to me is kind of my attitude with with all of this, um, which he might not end up doing. And, you know, DeSantis even said as much today. Um, but, you know, that's one of these things where I think the American people are just like, you know, how much involvement do we have? Because we saw how we ended up in world wars, which were righteous, you know, World War II was a righteous cause. Um, but the official, you know, ju- jumping into World War II kind of thing. And I don't know if anyone has the taste for that. Certainly not coming up on an election. No. Nope. Well, I hope you have a great week. All right, Jenny. Thanks. It was a good, fun, short episode to kind of jump back in the swing. Like I said, I know we took uh, a few days off. Just schedulized. It didn't work. Uh, I'm going to try to do some making up with that this week. Um, I, I don't play hockey this week. Thanks, goalie. So I have a little bit more time on my hands. Uh, I'm going to be back on Substack tomorrow. I want to talk more about former President Boomer Dad and uh, get more into the weeds with uh, some of his kind of accusations with DeSantis. Also, I'm just one of these guys when I see people putting up his screenshots and trying to push back on him, I'm like, you guys, nobody cares. <laughs> like, um, I just, I see the true social posts and people are like, this is a false claim. How dare you? I'm just like, you don't understand the game, guys. Like, it doesn't matter. So uh, I'm going to try to be back on a couple more times this week to make up. So again, I'll be back on Substack tomorrow. Um, I know I've taken a break uh, to, from Washington Examiner and Spectator, and I mainly did that just to get my Substack to the point where it was operational, and I didn't, I, you know, I didn't have glitches and oompa loompas all over it. So uh, I should be back to uh, some writing at some of these outlets here. I also will be on Kennedy tomorrow night, or I'm scheduled to be at least uh, on Fox Business, 7 p.m. Eastern. So tune in for that. Uh, I'm Stephen O. Miller, the other one, the good-looking one. This is Versus Media Live on Colin. And uh, like I said, I'll see you back on Substack tomorrow. Thanks for my listeners. Thanks for spending an hour with us here tonight. 